0: We don't make that transition from acorns to oaks, growing spiritually without the Holy Spirit. And so, a couple of weeks ago, we began a new series on the Holy Spirit, and screen should be working here Anytime, time. Um, there it is. Um, what we're doing this spring and summer is, we're looking at some of the primary texts in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. About what it means to live in the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're beginning our journey in the Gospels. And we're going to move to Acts, and then we're going to move to the Epistles. Um, But today we're going to be in John chapter 16. And we're going to be talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Last week we were in John 14. And this takes place the night before Jesus goes to the cross. And so he's pouring truth into his disciples and preparing them for what is to come. And part of that is teaching them about the coming of the Helper, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that you're not expected to do this alone. You're not carrying out this mission alone, that the Helper is going to come. And so we're going to look at that again today in chapter 16. John 16, and let's look beginning at uh, verse 5, and then walk through the text until we get to verse 15. Jesus says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. And so we talked last week about the fact that this this Greek word can be translated as Helper, or Comforter, or Counselor, or Advocate. Those are all different translations of the same word. Jesus here is talking about the Holy Spirit. And He says, if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Therefore, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that Your Spirit would take the truth and declare it to our own minds and hearts today. We pray that You would enable us to hear the truth, not just sort of hear information, but help us to get it, help us to get it down deeply, not only in the sense of, of knowing it intellectually, but putting it into our living. We pray that You would speak to our hearts now. And we've come with different needs in our lives today, and we pray that by the power of Your Spirit that You would encounter each one of us exactly where we need it. So we give You this time. We ask for You to speak. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, vividly remember as a child... The first time that I ever saw the show Mission Impossible, and I was doing over at a sleepover at a friend's house, maybe fourth or fifth grade, and we were actually watching a rerun of Mission Impossible. It was late at night, and, but I was enthralled from the opening scene. I mean, these secret agents, and you know how that show always began. It began with, there'd be a tape recorder, and so they'd get the tape and they'd play it, and... The voice would come on, and it was always your mission, should you choose to accept it. And then they would tell the mission, and the mission was always something like, you know, go and you know, save the world. Um, as believers, we have been given a real mission impossible, or at least it would be mission impossible without the Holy Spirit. Now, last week, we looked at the situation of the early church, the earliest believers. You remember, I mean, this is a small group of people. Small group of very ordinary people. And they're asked to go out into the world on this mission. And they're told to go and proclaim this message. So they were to go to their their fellow Jews and they were all the earliest believers were were all Jewish at that point. So they were to go to their, their own people and they were to say, Okay, the Messiah that we've been, been expecting, you know, he's come, and you know, we were all expecting that the Messiah was going to come. He was going to kick the Romans out of our country and restore the political glory of Israel. Okay, the Messiah has come, but actually he was crucified by the Romans. And he rose from the dead. Something that they were expecting to happen to all people at the end of history, but not to one person in the middle of history. And they were to go to their fellow Jews with that message. And then they were to go to Gentiles. And they were to say to the Gentiles that uh, a Jew who was crucified on a cross in Jerusalem rose from the dead and he is actually Lord of the world and he's your Lord and you are now commanded to repent. Now listen on the surface of it I mean how do you think that's going to go over you know the the issue is how did did Christianity ever even get off the ground (laughs) let alone become a movement that was going to change the world and literally split time into B.C. and A.D. how did that happen it happened because Jesus really did rise from the dead And because Jesus, after His resurrection and ascension, really did send the Holy Spirit. And so it's not just that He sent His followers. He sent His Spirit. He doesn't just send us out on a mission to the world. He sends us out empowered by the Holy Spirit into the world. Now, this text is... Very unusual. It's different than most of the texts that we're going to look at in this series because most of the texts in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit are about the Spirit's ministry in the lives of believers, right? His ministry in the church. They're about how the Spirit empowers us and guides us, how the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in our life and gifts us for ministry and sanctifies us, cleanses us, grows us as believers This text is about the Spirit's ministry to people who are still in unbelief. It's about His ministry to the world. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about that. And and we're going to see three things that the Spirit uh, does in His ministry to the world. But before we do that, we need to see the need of the world for the ministry of the Spirit And the world needs the ministry of the Holy Spirit because the world is broken. Wednesday afternoon, there was a Major League Baseball game played at Camden Yards in Baltimore in front of 48,000 plus empty seats because of the chaos going on in a major American city it could not guarantee security for a crowd because of the chaos that was going on in the streets outside. That same day, I was called to go and minister to some people, not from our church, but just in our community, and just sitting down and listening to them tell their story. And it was just this story of incredibly uh, incredibly sad story about Just incredible dysfunction, and about the wreckage, the devastation left in generations of lives in this family because of sin. That same day, I clicked into an email from the shot, and he was asking for our prayers. He He was asking me to to ask you to pray because he's getting ready to head back to North Africa. And he wanted us to pray for the widows of the men who were martyred on his last trip there as ISIS was killing believers. He wanted us to pray for their widows. And and when I read that, I thought of something that Jesus says here at the beginning of, of chapter 16. He says, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. That's what's happening today in the Middle East and North Africa. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. I'm telling you the world is broken. And it's broken because people don't know their Creator. And they don't know His Son. And, and as followers of Christ, we know that the problem is not just out there. The problem is in here. It's in our own hearts. There was a a British newspaper one time that uh, sent sent out a question to a hundred leading British intellectuals. And the question was, what's wrong with the world? And the Christian writer G.K. Chesterton wrote this back. What's wrong with the world? I am. The brokenness of the world, it's not just out there, it's in here. We we know that as Christians. We're just forgiven sinners, ourselves. There's a brokenness within each one of us. And if we were sent out into such a world, to such people, on our own, in our own strength, our own power, it would be mission impossible. But He doesn't just send us. He sent the Spirit. The Spirit is working in the hearts of people. He has done a work in our own hearts. So what does He do? What is the Spirit's ministry to people who are still in unbelief? First of all, the Spirit convicts concerning sin. So Jesus says in verses 7 and 8, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper... Will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, the Greek word that's translated as "convict here, when it says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness and judgment, to convict here. This word means it's, it's a word that was used of like a prosecuting attorney a prosecutor cross-examines the guilty and he, he exposes their guilt. Now this is very interesting because last week we saw that one of the ways that you can translate this word, which is translated as helper here in verse uh, 7, one way that you could translate it is advocate, which means it's like a defense attorney. And so... In the lives of believers, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's like a a defense attorney. But in the lives of unbelievers, the Holy Spirit is more like a prosecutor who is cross-examining and exposing their guilt. Now why does He do that? Because He loves them. It's done out of, of pure Love. Listen, if you love someone and you see them in the process of ruining their life, if you love them, you're gonna be willing to get tough with them. I mean you're gonna be you're gonna be willing to to come alongside and 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 help them to to try to help them to see the choices that they're making and, and what what those choices are going to lead to? Uh, you're, you're out of love. You're willing to get tough with them, and, and that's what the Spirit does. He he has to do that because he has to. People have to see the reality of their situation, and so the Spirit uh, opens the eyes of of those in, in unbelief to to, to see to see their situation for what it is. Again, I mean, if you love someone and you know that what they they desperately need is that they need to see a doctor, but they they refuse to see a doctor, I mean, what do you first need to do? Convince them that they are sick. And so this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit opens the eyes of the hearts of, of people to... To see the the reality of their sin. And and not just that they commit sins. It's deeper than that. It's not. He doesn't just open people's eyes to the fact that. oh, Oh you know. Okay. Here's a sin. Here's a sin. Here's a sin. He opens their eyes. To understand that there's a heart problem. That it's not just that we commit sins. Okay. It's that. We commit sins because there's something deeper going on. There's a problem in our hearts. Theologian R.C. Sproul puts it this way. He says, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And the Spirit opens our eyes to, to see that. And we, we have to see that before we will accept Christ as our Savior. But we have to understand our need for a Savior. It does no good if people, don't, if, if people don't understand their need, they're not going to be, be reaching out for a Savior. You know, if, if I was walking into church today, and let's say I was walking up the steps, and one of you came along and said, and you grabbed my arm and you said, hey, let me help you up the steps. You know, I'm going to say, oh, no, it's okay, I'm, I'm good, thank you. And inwardly, I'm going to be thinking, What's, does something appear to be wrong with me? I mean, I'm am I'm I'm in, I'm in good health. I don't seem to need need help walking up the, the steps. Um, you know, so if you offer help, no matter how well intentioned you are, and somebody doesn't perceive that they need your help, I mean, your offer can even be perceived as kind of insulting. What if I was on crutches? <laughs> And you offered help. Well, then it's different, right? Then I've, your offer to help is not perceived as insulting or weird. It's perceived as being nice. You're being kind. But what if I was drowning <laughs> and one of you uh, came to my rescue and grabbed me and dragged me out of the water? Well, then I'm going to perceive you as not just being nice, I'm going to perceive you as my rescuer, as my savior. This is what the Spirit does in the lives of people, is to to help them understand their desperate need for a Savior. He gets us to the end of ourselves. He brings us to the end of ourselves so that we despair of our ability to save ourselves. Now, that can only happen by the power of the Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can bring us to that point. Only the Spirit can bring a person to the end of themselves so that they understand that they desperately need a Savior. I can't do that. I can't bring somebody to that point. You can't bring somebody to that point. There are people in your life that you love and you know that they need Christ. But you know what? You can't bring them to this point. So there's a very obvious application here. For us, and that is that as we seek to minister to family members, friends, neighbors, associates, and we know they need Christ, as we seek to minister to them and love on them in the name of Jesus and share the gospel with them as we have opportunity, we need to be doing something else. We need to be praying for them. Praying for them. Praying for the Spirit to work in their hearts. Praying for the Spirit to do what we cannot do. And I don't just mean sort of praying once in a while and generically for them. I I mean praying specifically for people by name. And doing it for years, for decades if it takes that. Push. P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. Pray for people specifically by name over time that the Spirit would, would bring them to this point, would bring them to the end of themselves to where they understand their need for the Savior. Only He can do that. So that the Spirit, first of all, convicts concerning sin. And then, Jesus says the Spirit convicts concerning righteousness. He says in verse 8 again, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. This week, I was reading devotionally in Exodus 19. And it's where the Israelites have come out of Egypt. And they've come to Mount Sinai. And so God has descended on Mount Sinai. And the mountain is literally trembling, quaking. And there's smoke, and there's fire, and the trumpet is blowing louder and louder. And God tells Moses, you, Moses, you tell the people, do not touch this mountain. In fact, don't even come close to this mountain. Because if you do, they're, they're going to die. I mean, that's how holy and awesome God is. You know, He knew that for them to even come close to, to this, was gonna, they would be consumed. Listen, God, God is not a cosmic Santa Claus. God is not an, the old man upstairs who's there to meet your needs or bail you out of trouble when you get in trouble, um, and who would never make any demands upon your life. He he makes all kinds of demands. You know what He demands? He demands perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. This is a problem. (laughs) Because we just saw that we are very unrighteous. We are sinners. And the Bible says that even at our best, let alone at our worst, but even at our best, Isaiah says that our righteousness is like what? Like filthy rags compared to His. I had a a professor in seminary who was a former missionary in Japan. And he told us a story one day in class of when they were serving in Japan... One day they they were up on top of a mountain and it began to snow. And they had a, a little dog that they just thought our dog is about as white as a dog can get. And they thought that until the point when their little dog got out and began to frolic in the snow. And suddenly their dog's fur, which they had thought of as being so white, it just looked dirty, dingy compared to the the purity of that, that new fallen snow. You know God's righteousness, God's holiness is something that you know even at our best, you know, the Bible says our righteousness is 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 like filthy rags. I mean so I mean what are we to do? God is holy He's perfectly righteous and He demands perfect righteousness. Okay, here's the good news, the best news in the world. There is a righteousness not our own that has been provided for us. It is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it is credited to those who believe in Him. When we trust in Christ, the perfect record of His righteousness is credited to us. Even though we are unrighteous, we are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. C. Everett Koop was a brilliant pediatric surgeon in Philadelphia, and he later became Surgeon General of the United States in the 1980s. And as a young man, he began to attend church in Philadelphia and he was not yet a Christian. But as he heard the message of Christianity, he, he came to two conclusions. Dr. Koop came to the conclusion, first of all, that either his sins were going to be on his shoulders or on Christ. And either he was going to stand before God one day in the record of his own righteousness or in the record of Christ's righteousness. And he trusted in Jesus. And, and to see, who brought him to that point? Who opened the eyes of his heart to see that? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts concerning righteousness. Listen, Christianity is not about you developing a righteousness to present to God one day. Christianity is about God... Giving you a righteousness, not your own, but the righteousness of Christ, the moment that you trust in Christ. And that can happen now, can happen today. Turn to the Savior, trust in Him, rely on His perfect record of righteousness. Now, the Spirit brings us to that point. So, the Spirit convicts concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and then concerning judgment. The Spirit convicts concerning judgment. And so Jesus says, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, before the end of this night on which He's talking, the world is going to think that Jesus is the one who's been judged. It's Jesus who is going to be arrested in the garden later on this night. Jesus is going to be subjected to a mock trial and mocked and spat upon and beaten and the next day crucified, executed on a cross as a criminal. And the world is going to think that it's Jesus who has been judged, who's been condemned. And He has been. But not in the way that they were looking at it. He was taking the judgment that we deserved. He was taking the condemnation that we deserved. There's an incident earlier in the Gospel of John where a woman who's been caught in adultery is brought before Jesus. The religious leaders bring her before Jesus and they say the law demands that such a woman be stoned. Now what do you say? And Jesus says, Okay, whichever one of you is without sin, you be the first to cast a stone. And they all dropped their stones. Walked away. There's nobody left but Jesus and this woman. Now how does Jesus minister to her? He says to her, Has no one condemned you? She says, No. He says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, How does Jesus deal with her? He does not deal with her by saying, well, you know, sexual ethics and behavior, uh, that's kind of your own personal feeling. It's it's whatever you feel is right, okay? So, I mean, whatever's true for you, whatever's right for you, whatever you feel like uh, regarding issues of morality, sexuality, okay? Uh, I'm not going to make any judgments about that. He doesn't say that nor does Jesus deal with her by saying you are really a rotten sinner. What does he do? He says neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. But you know the issue but why doesn't he condemn her? Why? It's because Jesus knew that he was going to be condemned for her. It's because Jesus knew that ultimately, He was going to take the stoning. He was going to take the spearing. Okay, He was going to be spat upon and put on trial and put to death and hung on a cross. He was going to be condemned in her place. And in yours and in mine. That's why why he, He doesn't condemn her. Because He knows He's going to be condemned for her. And He knows that He's going to rise from the dead which ultimately is going to condemn Satan and seal his doom and strip him of his greatest weapon against us, which is death, so that we can live, live free. Now speaking of living, let's talk about a couple of applications here. If you're not certain that you're a Christian, then understand this. You will one day stand before a holy, righteous God... And the issue on that day is going to be, is your sin resting on your shoulders or on Christ? Are you going to stand before a holy, righteous God in the record of your own righteousness? Or are you going to stand with the record of Jesus Christ credited to your account? Turn to Christ. Trust in Him. The door is open. He loves you. If you are a Christian, the application is that we're sent out on this mission, not alone, in the power of the Spirit. We need to accept this mission, okay, and understand that we're not doing it in our own strength, but, you know, that we're to boldly go out. You're entering a mission field. You're entering a world that desperately needs a Savior when you leave here today. When you leave our church campus, you are entering the mission field. It's not just overseas, it's here. It's the people in your life. The people in your life are not there by accident, okay? God has positioned you in their lives strategically. Love them in the name of Jesus. Share the good news about Jesus with them and pray for them. Pray specifically. Pray, persevere in prayer for them. That the Spirit would do in their lives what only the Spirit can do. You you know, we talked about the fact last week that the Helper has come. Okay, He's our Comforter He's our counselor. We don't, he's our advocate. Okay. We don't have to do life alone anymore. We do it in the power of the Spirit. Okay, that's reassuring. But with that reassurance comes responsibility. If the, if the Spirit has come, then what is our excuse for living at the level at which many of us are living? Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that You would help us to live in Your strength, in Your power. Help us to humbly rely upon the Spirit's power moment by moment uh, as, we, as we seek to live for You, as we seek to go forth uh, and love others in Jesus' name and, and, and share the Gospel with others and pray for others. Father, I pray for anyone here who came into this room today not certain of a relationship with You. I pray that You would deal with them um, by the power of Your Spirit. Open eyes of hearts just to see the truth. We pray that You would work in our hearts as believers to, uh, to go forth on mission and, and, and living with a, a resource, a power, helper that is so much greater than us. And that You would be transforming our lives profoundly as we live life in the Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And if you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with Him, you want to talk with someone or pray with someone about that, we're going to be here uh, during invitation time, after the service today. If, if you'd like to know more about being a part of our church family, uh, we're here for you. If you're just in need of prayer, um, people are here to pray with you. The altar is open for you. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who will love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8, 30, and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.